Hey, Haley. Yeah. You know what I do when I need a mental break from some really tough true crime stories that we've talked about and researched? What? I'm really into playing this mobile game right now called Best Fiends. It's this really great casual puzzle game and it engages your brain as you play. So not only are you having a little bit of fun and not being super bored, but you're also doing something for yourself. You feel like you're accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. And it's super easy. I've only been playing for about a week and I'm over 100 levels deep and I can't stop, won't stop. I can't get enough. Yeah, same. It's really great because I travel a lot on buses and planes and subways and you don't need internet access to play. So it works perfectly for me. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. With over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Best Fiends. Best Fiends. Okay, bye. Bye. podcast it's called crime culture we are starting it now my name is caitlin i am the one starting the podcast and that is Haley. she is the one who is semi-starting the podcast yeah and that is and what the are we podcast. talking about today um we are still on united states of horror <laughs> whoop, whoop, part four <laughs> i was gonna say if people aren't sick of us by now no it's a fun time everyone's waiting for their state yeah and you can dip out after your stay. I was gonna say, shouldn't. and everybody who's heard it already is like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, but that's fine. We got some, we got some fun states today. I, I mean, I'm excited. What are you starting? I'm with? always excited. I'm starting with New Mexico. <gasps> your fave. Low key. Yeah, low key favorite state. Low besides, key. I mean, Haley besides plans Jersey. to live there. Yeah, Haley besides sends Jersey. Me, but... Yes, besides Jersey, but. You don't send me houses in New Jersey that you want to buy. No, because I don't want to. I mean, unless I bought the watcher like, house, about which would listeners. be very interesting. Well, it was ju- it's, um, it's unfortunately newly off the market, as we have discussed. That's right. I don't have the money for it anyway. But that'll that's okay. We'll get through it. We'll yeah, get but through I want to live in New Mexico. You do not want to live in New Mexico? I do. I do oh, want to live I in New like, Mexico. I was like, um, okay. I love it there. That's new. If you live in New Mexico, you have a great state. Haley, Haley is quite fond of your state. I also yeah. have visited, and uh, granted, I am not as fond as Haley is. You Haley drove is... through it. It's different. No, no. I stayed in a hotel overnight okay. in Santa Fe. It counts. Oh, I, love Santa Fe. I love Santa Fe so much. Every time I say right. every time I say Santa Fe, it makes me think of that Newsies song, Santa Fe, which I didn't. I haven't even seen Newsies. It I makes don't me think of I a red it. song, Santa Fe. No, it doesn't surprisingly make me think of a huh. red song. Anyway, this has gone on way too long. Tell me about spooky yes, shit. Enough banter. <laughs> I hate banter. Well, that's most of the podcast, so I everyone's know. gonna have to fucking deal. I know. Um, but it's cute banter. We're cute. It's fine. Um cute. So first up we got New Mexico, and yeah. we're gonna start off with their book. And so the top true crime book in New Mexico is Journal of the Dead, A Story of Friendship and Murder in the New Mexico Desert by Jason Kirsten. It oh, has, I love it. I <laughs> wonder why. <laughs> um, 
technically, if we both moved to New Mexico, this could be a similar title. Oh, yes. A story of friendship and murder in the New Mexico desert. Yeah, that's what I want. Um, but yeah, 3.1 out of 5 on Goodreads, and the synopsis is, When authorities found Rafi Kodikian barely alive, four days after he and his friend David Coughlin became lost in Rattlesnake Canyon, they made a grim and shocking discovery. Kodikian freely admitted that he had stabbed Coughlin twice in the heart. Had there been a darker motive than, mis- than mercy? And how could anyone under any circumstances kill his best friend? Armed with the journal, Kodikian and Coughlin carried into Rattlesnake Canyon. Jason Kirsten recreates in riveting detail those fateful days that led to the killing in an infamously unforgiving wilderness. Yes. <laughs> Great. I now agree. Haley's going to kill me in a desert. Yep. Um, in New Just Mexico, though. Yep. So then we the next up, we've got the urban legend of New Mexico, which is La Mala Hora, which translates to the evil hour. Um, so basically, even though it's called the evil hour, it's more because this appears at a certain time, um, specifically shocking night. Um, so what they say is that it's a big black ball of energy that's just constantly like moving and shape-shifting and it's just otherworldly and, they appear or it appears on a dark road at night and if you look at it you will lose your mind and it will slowly just make you nuts until you die Hmm. then the other thing is that they said that sometimes it shows up as like this just creepy looking lady and if you see said creepy looking lady at a crossroads, that means you or somebody in your family is going to die. Which, Ooh. IMHO, that's a very broad, like, someone in your family could be your third cousin twice removed, or it could be you. Like, technically, we're all cousins. In some, wow. in some degree. Yes. Yes. I There, I've said it. Um, but no, I mean, that's pretty broad. You don't know. And what about, like, yeah. step-family? Do they count? And th- is it blood relatives only? The fact that it can also appear as just, like, a, a like almost nothing, like a ball of energy that, yeah. like, makes you drive yourself insane, that is probably born out of a lot of truth. If you're driving down, like, a dark road at night and, like, you get, like, the highway hypnosis... Because I can tell you that there are lots of, not just in New Mexico, but lots of, like, rural highways in the middle of the country are, uh, in Spongebob terms, advanced darkness. <laughs> advanced darkness. Advanced darkness. That there's no streetlights. There's no light at all. So it is very possible for you to be driving down a completely black, empty road and going crazy okay yeah that's why that that's why my grandma's got it true. right my grandma's got it right she doesn't drive at night that wasn't meant to be a rhyme but exactly also, now i understand why is there no like 9 a.m hauntings it's always gotta there's, be at night there's gotta be if you know of any like morning hauntings please let us know because specifically morning hauntings yeah i would like to know yeah that'd be interesting yeah. Like, come on. 
That's all. I was mm. waiting for you to start all this time, and then I was like, oh, wait, no. Just kidding. It me. You got some more to talk about. I was like, yep, still going, still here. So then next up, we have the top documentary, true crime documentary in the state. I feel like if I say book, if I say documentary, if I say urban legend, you know what I mean. Um, it's the most popular from the list that we found. Yes, like, this except is the for most, the first episode that I fucked up. <laughs> this is the most like searched or most watched true crime documentary in the state. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the state. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that would be Captive, which is a 2016 docu-series, because again, nobody seems to understand that we wanted documentaries and not docu-series. I like docu-series. Yes, but I feel like the, the, the infographic should say documentaries and, and docu-series, not documentaries. All right. They I'll are different. It. Thank you. But um, yes, yeah, so it's a docu-series examining hostage situation through the eyes of victims, negotiators, and kidnappers. It has Ooh. a 75% on the tomato meter at Rotten Tomatoes and a 55% audience score, and you can watch it on Netflix. Ooh, I think I'm going to. I don't think I've heard of that one yet. I haven't. Yeah, so I need to watch that. Yeah. There, I'm trying to All think right. of my, my coworker was just telling me about a documentary it's like a docuseries it's like don't mess with the cat or something like that <gasps> oh yes i need to see it i don't want to i want nothing to do with it i was yeah. like keep it away from me please i heard the first episode is a little rough but um i, I can't will... do it yep um we're probably gonna do an episode review of it where oh we where are? i just tell caitlin about it okay that's better i like <laughs> that much better because all right i can barely handle beethoven i can't handle homeward bound do you think i'm gonna handle somebody who spoiler alert kills kitties yeah that's gonna be rough yeah absolutely not like but yes does he also kill it. a person sure that i can handle i have a true crime podcast there's a reason why i don't have an animal abuse podcast Ooh, everybody has their limits exist thank god yeah i don't know i feel like there's enough crazies in the world they've got to have one yeah, maybe. There's got to be one. If you if you have a cat crime podcast, please don't let me know. Because then okay, I'll just good. get upset. But so, yeah. So, finally, we've got the top serial killer for the state. And so, that would be the West Mesa murders. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, in 2009, the desert is apparently a popular place to kill people. Or at least yeah. leave a body. Because have you watched Breaking Bad? No! Still. Uh, well. <laughs> You ask me this every time. The answer is still no, because I have so many other things I need to catch up on. I haven't even watched Mad Men yet. It's too much. Uh. It's too much stimuli. But um, basically, the remains of a lemon women... Uh, a lemon. A lemon. <laughs> a lemon. That's staying in, too. We're not cutting that. I want to die. The remains of 11 women and also a fetus were found buried in a desert on the West Mesa of Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2009. The remains were identified as these women who all disappeared between 2001 and 2005. Jamie Barella, Monica Candelaria, Victoria Chavez, Virginia Cloven, Celania Edwards, Cinnamon Elks, Doreen Marquez, Julie Nieto, Veronica Romero, Evelyn Salazar, Michelle Valdez. Um, mm. According to satellite photos, the last victim was buried in 2005. 
Um, and I put them in alphabetical order. Like, I try to do that just because I don't okay. want somebody thinking I give, like, more attention to one than the other. I just, I, I, I remember all attention the victims equally. Yes. But so I'm not quite sure who the last one is. I couldn't really find out. And that's because you can't ask who the last person killed was because no suspects have been arrested. They just think that a serial killer who is still at large is responsible. Well, damn. Yeah. So you still want to move to New Mexico? Yeah. (laughs) It's really cool there. I like their turquoise. I have some of their turquoise. It's great. I know you do. I've seen it. Anywho. Anywho. Two of, I could do a whole different podcast on New Mexico. But you you could. Like people have asked us, Oh, if you were to do another podcast, what would it be on? That's a no brainer for you. You would do it on New Mexico. Probably. Yeah. New, New Mexico or cryptids. Oh, I love cryptids. Cryptids and urban legends, maybe. Yeah. That's my favorites. Yeah. Um well, I have two, uh, I mean, I've had two urban legends for most of the states that I've covered, but uh, the two that I have for my next state are really good. So, I'm going to jump into New York, my other home state. Hi, um, New York. Concrete jungle, wet dreams, tomato. <laughs> um, so, the most popular true crime book of the state would be Lost Girls and Unsolved American Mystery by Robert okay. Kolker. What if? And Kolker. That's what I thought you said. That's an interesting name. K O L K E R. Like I don't know why it like I it's not even I, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be like it just it took me back a little bit. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah. It's a uh, a really good book. He is an award-winning investigative reporter and uh delivers a humanizing account of the true life search for the serial killer still at large on Long Island and presents the first detailed look at the show the shadow world of online escorts where making a living is easier than ever and the dangers remain all too real. Lost Girls is a portrait of unsolved murders in an idyllic part of America, of the underside of the internet, and of the secrets we keep without admitting to ourselves that we keep them. It has a 3.56 out of 5 on Goodreads. That's pretty good. Yes, and I'll talk more about the Long Island Killer in a little bit. But uh, first I want to talk about the urban legends. Love it. And the first one is the Montauk Project. And it is famously one of the main inspirations for Stranger Things. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Montauk was actually the original working title of Stranger Things. And really? It's, yeah, there's a whole other uh, story to that where the Duffer Brothers may have stolen uh, the idea for Stranger Things from someone's short film. Oh, and shit. It, yeah, it was also called Montauk and blah, 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 oh, blah, blah. Yeah. That'll do so, it. So... <laughs> So the Montauk Project is a series of alleged government experiments conducted in Montauk, Long Island in the early 80s. And basically, it's everything that's in Stranger Things, um, including psychological warfare, experimenting on children, opening portals to other dimensions, and various other nefarious government-funded creepy things. So that's the Montauk Project. And the... 
second urban legend that I have for New York that is something that really interests me is the story of Cropsey. I've and heard of Cropsey. Yes, there's a whole documentary on it. The same people that did my one of my favorite documentaries. Um, uh, I think it's called... Oh, Killer Legends. That's what it's called. So they did Killer Legends, and th- before that, they did Cropsey. So the story of Cropsey has many iterations, but it generally tells the story of a man who stalked a sleepaway camp or some, say, mental institution, some say children's hospital. Um, they, some say that he had a hook for a hand and he killed children who were wandering alone at night. Pretty much every person who went to like a summer camp in New York State has heard about Cropsey. It's like the campfire tale that people will tell. And uh, like I had mentioned before, things took an even more sinister turn uh, when the documentary came out and said that Cropsey was probably a real person. Um, they even tell in the documentary um, the story of the convicted child kidnapper Andre Rand and I would definitely recommend that documentary. It used to be on Netflix. I want to say it's not anymore, but you should check it out. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, I would say the favorite true crime documentary for the state would be Cropsey. But from the list that we uh, are referencing for this series, um, apparently the most watched true crime doc of New York is Operation Odessa. Yeah. And... We covered that with Kentucky and Minnesota already. Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh, Tiaco. Oh, Tiaco. I just, I appreciate you. I just want <laughs> you to know. So, I also don't agree with this. So, the scariest serial killer from the list that we found was, is supposedly Kendall Francois, also Ooh. known as the Poughkeepsie Killer. And he was convicted of killing eight women between 1996 and 1998. And was described as remorseless. He was known for stashing the bodies of his victims in the attic, basement, and crawl space of his home that he shared with his family. And he was sentenced to life in prison, but died of natural causes in 2014. So, yes, that is very creepy. I like that journey for him. Yeah. So, yeah, he sounds significantly creepy. That is horrifying. But also, just to name a few... Son of Sam, Albert Fish, Joel Rifkin, and the Long Island serial killer that has still not been identified and could still very well be at large are also all New York serial killers. So I would say probably the most famous would be Son of Sam, just because everyone knows um, knows the name, uh, David Berkowitz. Yep. And um, I would say... Jonah Hill. <laughs> yes. If you listen to our uh, true crime casting episode, you'll know. Um, but I would say probably the scariest serial killer of the state, in my opinion, would be Albert Fish. Ooh, that's a good one. He's that's a good one. Horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Bonafide so piece we'll, of shit. Again, we'll do an episode on him. But for now, just yeah, know I that think he's, that's I think he's the the creepiest in all of New York State. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair analysis. Yeah, that's okay. that. That's New York. New York, concrete jungle, wet dreams, tomato. Mm-hmm. I really got to stop. Like, right. I know, but I got. I need to be stopped. I need to be. I need help. Only, only you can help me, Haley. 
Okay. Okay. So I'm never getting help. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so next up, we have, <clears throat> excuse me, North Carolina. And the top book for North Carolina is Jerry Bledsoe's Bitter Blood, a true story of Southern family pride, madness, and multiple murder. Despite Mm. the weird title, it has a 4.02 out of 5 on Goodreads, so I think that's pretty damn good. And the synopsis is, in this powerful and riveting tale of three families connected by marriage and murder of obsessive love and bitter custody battles, Jerry Bledsoe recounts the shocking events that ultimately took nine lives. The first bodies found were those of a feisty millionaire widow and her beautiful daughter in their posh Louisville, Kentucky home, or excuse me, Louisville, Kentucky home. Months later, another wealthy widow and her prominent son and daughter-in-law were found savagely slain in in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mystified police first suspected a professional in the bizarre gangland-style killings that shattered the quiet tranquility of two well-to-do Southern communities, but soon a suspicion grew that turned their focus to family. The Sharps, the Newsoms, the Lynches. The only link between the three families was a beautiful and aristocratic young mother named Susie Sharp Newsom Lynch. Dun-dun-dun! Dun-dun-dun. She has a lot of names. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, moving on, our next, uh, so next up we've got the urban legend, and mm-hmm. this is, this is something. Um, basically, there's like a vampire type thing living in North Carolina, allegedly. Okay. And this goes back to the 1950s when a lot of, see, we talked about how animals, I get upset, and <laughs> And here we are, because mm-hmm. a bunch, I'm just going to say, a bunch of dogs were found drained of their blood and just dead in mm. Bladenboro, North Carolina. I don't like that. I also do not like it. I do not like it one bit. Um, so the people believed that the cause was some kind of vampire in the woods. And Ooh. yeah, so they decided to hunt it couldn't find it but now they're all like all right we have long forgotten the poor puppies that died in vain and they now hold a beast fest every year Ooh! and it's kind of like what we talked about with the mothman yeah how, yeah how people embraced mothman it festival. rather than yes but if people embraced that rather than trying to shy away from that reputation yeah but even still, n- to this day, nobody knows what killed the dogs, which I need to know what killed the dogs. Yeah. Justice. Now that I know puppies. that they've been killed, I need to know. Yeah. I just want to talk. Um, Very spook. Yes. Very spook. And then for our documentary, again, we've got Killing with Love, Killing for Love, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We've we've touched on it in previous episodes. You may listen at your leisure. I think like Colorado was one of them. I believe maybe. Colorado. There were a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Like there were a bunch. I was like, I'm not gonna do this. Um, but then our top serial killer is Henry Wallace, who is also known as Haley. Are you sitting down? I am. The Taco Bell Strangler. <gasps> <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. Not. In my house of worship. Apparently, yes, in your house of worship. 
Tell me about him. Um, so he killed 10 women and one child in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, one of these women was actually his girlfriend and the mother of his child. Um, oh. Yep. And one of them was his co-worker. And I believe the child was actually his child, but I don't recall. Um, so his victims were Jean Balcom, Tashonda Bethea, Shauna Hawk, Valencia M. Jumper, Vanessa Little, Brandy June Henderson, um, Caroline Love, Sharon Nance, Deborah Ann Slaughter, Audrey Spain, and Michelle Stinson. Um, I also have just a last name here, Mac. I think that I mistyped and either there is somebody whose last name is Mac or there is just a typo. A random Mac. There's a, there's a random Mac. And so I'm going to just try to look that up really quick because I was taken aback and Did was he kill these people confused. in the Taco Bell? No, but he was like living and working, not living in. But he was working in the Taco Bell. And, oh, but yeah. okay. And one of the women who died, because he wasn't even completely working at the Taco Bell, like, for some of these. Okay. Um, but one of the women who died was his co-worker at the Taco Bell. Got it. Got um, it. So that's why, and people just kind of, they they love a good nickname. They really do. Yes, it was yeah. Vanessa Little Mac. That's what it was. Okay. It was a misplaced comma. And that was actually one of his employees from Taco Bell. Oh, got it. Yes. Um, so there must have been others because she wasn't the one I was thinking of. Yeah, hmm. there was another one who was a friend of his from Taco Bell. There was another one who worked at Taco Bell also. Like, there were there were a few Taco Bellian connections. All right. But um, he was also questioned in connection to the attempted rape of a 16-year-old girl from Barnwell, North Carolina. But he was never charged for that crime or actually Bethea's murder because they weren't able to completely prove it, that it was him. Um, but he was charged for all the other ones. And he is awaiting execution at Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. Good for him. Yep. I believe you, you are, are up, Buttercup. I am. And my next state is North Dakota. Oh, here we go. Uh, I think it's also referred to as the last state. What? I know. I know that if you do, um, if you do like all fifty states, if you go to North Dakota last, they will give you like a little like last is best like packet, like with a a like a t shirt or something. None of this makes any sense because like. I believe it was either Hawaii or Alaska. Was it Hawaii that was the last state that was ratified? I don't know if that's the actual like why? slogan. Why for are the you state. the last state, North Dakota? Because there's Let nothing in know. North Dakota. Somebody listens to um no nothing's in South Dakota either. I don't know. North Dakota is ref- is like famously the last state somebody will visit. Okay. Um but anywho. The most famous true crime event book is Prairie Murders, the true story of three murders and the loss of innocence in a small North Dakota town by Robert Dodge. Okay. And the synopsis is, it was the safest state in America where a single murder in a year was unusual. People there descended from hardy settlers who had withstood a challenging life cooperate by cooperating. 
when a growing young town with recently paved streets was struck by annual murders for three consecutive years, something had changed. Every crime was more violent and heinous than its predecessor, beginning when one of the town's favorites, a personable high school cheerleader, was murdered in her family's home in a sex-related attack. Within months came the bloody bludgeoning to death of a young mother and in her own home, as one homicide was, uh, was prosecuted and investigation moved forward on the second, a young man's body was found bisected with uh, the halves floating in bags in the river. Nope. Yeah. No. No. Seems like no, no, a no. rough couple years. Yeah. I think that's so, safe to say. Yeah. It's got a 3.30 out of 5 on Goodreads. And I think it sounds, so I could be wrong about this, but it sounds a lot like that one Tory Spelling, like, I think it was a Lifetime movie or a Hallmark movie where, like, the cheerleader gets murdered. But I can't remember, because she was in so many where she gets murdered, honestly. Yeah. I don't remember if that was like It's kind of like a trope in, like, teen slasher movies, though. The killer. The the cheerleader. The the cheerleader, yeah. Yeah. But in this case, it really happened. Mm-hmm. So, again, I have two urban legends. The first one is The Gates of Hell. Okay. And uh, it's in Tagus, North Dakota. And it's one of many abandoned settlements from uh, the end of the railroad boom. It might be um, the creepiest one because people believe that in this town, there was once a Lutheran church that doubled as a hotbed for Satan worship. And legend oh, nice. is that it burned down, but if you stand in just the right place, you can hear the screams of the damned bubbling up from hell itself. And um, like any good hellish uh, urban legend, there are also reports of hellhounds, glowing gravestones, and a ghost train. So that's fun. Yeah. And the second one is White Lady Lane. What is and with the these women? <laughs> right? Why can't they a man everything. be scary? Like, let's think about this for a second. Why can't a man be scary? Because all the living men are scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. She right. It true. So, this legend says that a young woman became pregnant out of wedlock, and her religious parents forced her to marry the father. Oh, no. The baby ended up dying after the wedding, and the girl was so upset about her baby and her forced marriage that she hung herself in her wedding dress from a bridge on a road that runs through Terralt Woods. Okay. Um, I I feel like I've heard about this in various forms, though. I feel like this is a popular one. Yeah, so locals claim that they can see her ghost hanging from the bridge. So, that's that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the most watched or most searched or favorite true crime documentary of the state is Making a Murderer. Shocking. And I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Like this is the first time that this one has come up because it's very, very popular. Um, in case you don't know, it was filmed over a ten-year period, and it's an unprecedented real-life thriller about DNA, um, a DNA exoneree, who, while in the midst of exposing corruption in local law enforcement, finds himself the prime suspect in a grisly new crime. It's set in America's heartland. The series takes viewers inside the high-stakes criminal case where reputation is everything and things are never as they appear. It has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 98% audience score. Huh. And a nine- I, that's rare, though, for the, for the um, 
tomato meter score to be higher than the audience score, isn't it? No, sometimes, like, we've talked about other movies and stuff that the audience likes it more than critics liked it. Yeah, I know it is very popular. Like, the audience score doesn't surprise me. The critical score kind of does. <laughs> yeah, but it has a 93% Google score, so that kind of is in line with everything else. Uh, and um, an 8.6 out of 10 on IMDb. And it won some Emmys. Oh, yes, it did, now that you say it that. Did. And In critics said of season... 17, 2018? I think it was when season one came out, because season two wasn't as Good. big. But um, critics said of season one, quote, Making a Murderer is a spellbinding slow burn that effectively utilizes the documentary format to tell a twisty mystery. And... They said of season two, quote, Making a Murderer's Return may not yield closure for its maddening saga of crime and punishment, but the series' exploration of the U.S. justice system remains riveting, end quote. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, like, synopsis of what you're going to get out of it. Yeah. And the scariest serial killer, who I actually agree with this one, is Jerry (laughs) Brudos. And Brutos abducted, bludgeoned, and murdered four women. Nope. He claimed, <laughs> this is creepy, he claimed that women's shoes were his, quote, substitute for pornography, end quote. Uh-oh. And he used the severed foot of one of his victims to model shoes in his home. So he just sounds like a, a real cool guy. That's... Something that exists. Do you want to hear something worse than that, though? I don't think that there is anything worse than that. Oh, oh. Police also found severed breasts being used as paperweights in his home. So that's something you know now. That's some Ed Gein shit. It is. It is. That's something that Um, Ed Gein would be like... Everybody else, that's too far. Jeffrey well, Dahmer, mm-mm-mm. no, 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 that's too much. Ed Gein is like that kid in the GIF with the um the computer where he's got the spiky hair and he's got his thumb up and he's just nodding. Yeah. So he was given a life sentence and died of liver cancer in prison in 2006. But... If you're like, wow, he sounds horrifying, that would be perfect for um, a movie of sorts. Like, how can we not uh, move on as a culture without having this horrible demonic person play a villain in something? Well, uh, the actor Happy Anderson played uh, him in Mindhunter season one, episodes seven and eight. Oh, and actor Ted Levine, who played Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, said yeah. that he based part of his performance on Jerry Brudos. Yep. And our old friends, the extreme metal band Macabre, has a song about Jerry Brudos on their 2003 album Murder Metal. Oh. So he does have his place in pop culture. Yes, definitely. And that's North Dakota. North Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. Your turn. Okay, my turn. My turn. So next up we got... Oh, hang on. My notes scrolled. <laughs> Good. They went right back to the top. I was like, I don't need this. Yeah, I'm feeling attacked. So next next we've got Ohio. Ohio. 
Ohio's a fun state. Ohio's a fun state. I had a lot of fun in Cleveland. I was very surprised by Cleveland. I have a friend from Cincinnati, Cincy, and she's very fun. Very nice. Yes. Ohio, you're pretty cool. Ohio, Lisa. Um, Ohio. Oh. So, the top book is The Minds of Billy Milligan by Daniel Keyes. It has a 4.02 out of 5 on Goodreads. And the synopsis is, Billy Milligan can be anyone he wants to be except himself. Out of control of his actions, Billy Milligan was a man tormented by 24 distinct personalities battling for supremacy over his body, a battle that culminated when he awoke in jail, arrested for the kidnap and rape of three women. In a landmark trial, Billy was acquitted of his crimes by reason of insanity caused by multiple personality disorder, the first such court decision in history, bringing to public light the most remarkable and harrowing case of multiple personality disorder ever recorded. 24 people live inside Billy Milligan. Philip, a petty criminal, Kevin, who dealt drugs and masterminded a drugstore robbery, April, whose only ambition was to kill Billy's stepfather, Adelana, the shy, lonely, affection-starved lesbian who used Billy's body in the rapes that led to his arrest, David, the eight-year-old keeper of pain, and all of the others, including men, women, several children, both boys and girls, and the teacher, the only one who can put them all together. You will meet each in this shocking, true story. And you will be drawn deeply into the mind of this tortured young man and his splintered, terrifying world. I need to read this. I was going to say, and now I need to read the book. This is fucking crazy. I feel like I've heard of this case because of the the conviction on, uh, uh, or yeah, with not convicting him on the yes. uh, split personality disorder. Um, that is so fucking interesting. It's wild. I need to know more. Yeah. I do need to know more. I don't more. know how to wrap my head around it. What's the title of it again? Um, one more time. The title is The Minds of Billy Milligan, and it's by Daniel Keyes. Yeah, I need to read that. That sounds really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. But next up is The Urban Legend, which is The Werewolf of Defiance, a.k.a. me. <laughs> and, ah, woo! Um, during the summer of 1972... The people of Defiance, Ohio, said that there was a werewolf that was just, like, stuck in their town, hanging out. Ah, ooh, werewolves of one of London style. Um, mm-hmm. As we discussed previously, of course, this doesn't happen during the day. It's only at no. night. Um, it's it, But it does get to be very werewolves of London-y to the point where I'm like, did he write the song about this and just change the name from Defiance to London? Because first of all, this isn't like the this is the only thing that I think isn't really like the song, and that's that typically they would see him near train tracks. Okay, but a lot of women were saying that it would try to presumably to do some not nice things, um, try to break into their houses, and it would like try the doorknob, and you could see and hear the doorknob go in. That's fucking horrifying. It's yep. one of my least favorite things. Yep. Um, and so they also said that the werewolf was huge. Understandable. Hairy. Understandable. Uh-huh. And dressed in ragged, tattered clothing. Understandable. Yeah, because he turned into a werewolf. Yeah, woo. But um, then this was just in the summer of 1972, and then it all stopped, and he never came back. 
So I guess he did not like the taste of the men and women in Defiance and moved on to London, and thus the song was born. I think everyone in that town was smoking weed. <laughs> so. That could also be it. That could also yep. be it. Um, so next, we've got the top true crime documentary in the state, and it's Killing for Love. Again. Oh, again. Again. <laughs> again. A lot of it's a people, popular one. A lot of people love Killing for Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the serial killer is Anthony Sowell, who is also known as the Cleveland Strangler. And he was yeah, arrested. Yeah, heard of him. Yep. He was arrested in October 2. I can't speak. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> you heard one of that, those right? Years. That was not even, that wasn't <laughs> even English. I don't know what that was. I, I don't think a turntable would be able to recreate that. Um. He was arrested in October 2009 after the police went to his home to investigate and found 11 bodies. And he lived in Cleveland, Ohio, obviously. But um, his victims were Tonya Carmichael, Nancy Cobbs, Crystal Dozier, Amelia Amy Hunter, Talasha Fortson, LaShonda Long, Michelle Mason, Kim Yvette Smith, Diane Turner, and Janice Webb. And he was charged with 11 counts of aggravated murder and 74 counts of rape, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. Oof. Yeah. And Sowell pled not guilty by reason of insanity, but later changed his plea to just not guilty. No insanity here or there. And on October 22nd, 2011, he was convicted on all but two counts against him, including the murders of the women whose bodies were found in his in his house um Hmm. so then on august 10th the jurors recommended the death penalty and here he stays all right yep fuck that guy yep so real piece of shit real terrible human being fuck him yep well no but he ain't great not a good dude um so my next state is oklahoma where the winds go sleeping down the plains? Yeah. Yeah, that one. That very same. <laughs> the top true crime event book of the state would be Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders, and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. And the synopsis is, in the 1920s, the richest people per capita in the world were members of the Osage Indian Nation in Oklahoma. After oil was discovered beneath their land, the Osage rode in chauffeured automobiles, built mansions, and sent their children to study in Europe. Then, one by one, they began to be killed off. One Osage woman, Molly Burkhart, watched as her family was murdered, her older sister was shot, her mother was then slowly poisoned, and it was just beginning, just as more Osage began to die under mysterious circumstances. It has a 4.09 out of 5 on Goodreads with almost 100,000 ratings. Wow. So, so time yeah. to read. Yeah. And um, in this, I didn't put it in the, the synopsis. I kind of had to break it down because the synopsis was really fucking long. It basically told you the whole story of the book. Um, this case, it was in the 1920s, um, re- the way that they uh, researched this kind of uh, gave birth to the FBI. It was like the the FBI was just started at this point, and it was like the first investigation that they did. Okay. So 
that's very very interesting if you're into uh fbi history i have a family member in the fbi actually multiple family members because i think some of his children went to the fbi the fibby yep the fibby um surprisingly i only have one urban legend for oklahoma and it's the skirvin hotel and it's basically oklahoma's equivalent to the hotel from the shining okay the skirvin is a luxury hotel with tales of eternally crying babies a ghost that likes to grope people in the shower and spirits that slam doors um also the ghost of the original owner's mistress who allegedly died along with his illegitimate child and oh. who still walks the halls with a stroller. Yeah, um, that'll that'll do it. That's some Keanu Reeves shit. Yeah. Stories like this are so prevalent at the hotel that um, even the toughest of NBA players find themselves seeking alternate accommodations when they're playing in the area. Like, there are stories of NBA players who went to go, like, stay there and were like nah <laughs> i'm i'm out now mm -mm, mm -mm. yeah mm -mm. so it's that creepy which is exactly where i'll be staying when i go to oklahoma you know what i think that's that's fair yeah um the most popular true crime documentary is the innocent man and it's based on John Grisham's 2006 book, The Innocent Man, Murder and Injustice in a Small Town. And the documentary focuses on two murders that shook the town of Ada, Oklahoma in the 1980s and the controversial chain of events that followed. It has a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 71% audience score, 90% uh, on Google, Ooh. and a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. That's pretty damn good, I'd say. Yeah. And the critics' consensus is, quote, The innocent man will satisfy true crime aficionados looking for a slickly packaged mystery, but viewers seeking more probing deconstruction of the justice system will come away disappointed. End quote. Oh. Uh -huh. So if you're looking for a cool story, watch it. Okay. But if you're looking for, like, intricacies on the justice system, probably not for you. Okay. Um... The scariest serial killer of the state is Sean Sellers, and he was a 16-year-old Satanist, and he killed three people. Two were his own parents while they were sleeping. Uh, when talking about his parents' murder, he said he performed a ritual beforehand, and he was filled with, quote, nothing but cold hatred, end quote. He was executed in 1999. That's yikes. Yeah, basically a child. Basically. Yeah. And that is Oklahoma. Where the winds go sweeping down the plains. Yep. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Alright. So you next up. we've got yep, next we've got Oregon. Not I Oregon. Love Oregon too. Oregon. Oregon's one of my favorites. No, you can't have two. I know. You can't have two. You have to pick. But I I like desert and I also like forest sucks i spent come to california uh, we have desert and forest no we have we have the redwoods and we have joshua i went tree. to the redwoods redwoods is uh one of the coolest places i've ever been in my entire life also joshua here. tree felt like i was on the surface of the moon come to i think me. i've said that before come to me um but oregon is really fucking cool i was kind of all over oregon 
uh, last fall. Mm -hmm. And I went from Portland all the way up at the top to Crater Lake all the way towards the bottom. So I've been all over the state. She's been everywhere, man. Yeah. It's a fun time there. But perfect setting for creepy shit. Because everything is like like dark forests and like like it just, like the fog just like hangs in the air. Oh, it's so creepy. I loved it. I'm gonna go, but I'm only gonna go during daytime. <laughs> because there's no hauntings during daytime. That would freak me out. Yeah, exactly. There's no hauntings. Yeah. And honestly, we don't really even need to be worried about the hauntings because they're women. And women don't hurt other women nine times out of ten. Sure. Yeah. We except just talk the, shit about each other behind our backs. Except for the other time when they do murder each other. Yes, but I said nine out of ten. All right. All right. Tell me creepy shit about Oregon. Okay. So first up, we've got Strange Piece of Paradise by Terry Jens. That's the most popular true crime book. And it has a 3.73 out of 5 on Goodreads. And the synopsis is in the summer of 1977, Terry Jens and her Yale roommate took a cross-country bike trip. As they lay sleeping in the central Oregon desert, a man in a pickup truck deliberately ran over their tent and proceeded to attack them with an axe. The horrific crime was reported in newspapers across the country, but no one was ever arrested. Fifteen years later, Jens returned to the small town where she was nearly murdered and makes an extraordinary discovery. The violence of that night is as present for the community as it is for her. Shockingly, many say they know who did it, and he is living freely in their midst. Powerful, eloquent, and paced like the most riveting of thrillers, Strange Piece of Paradise is a startling profile of a psychopath, a sweeping revelation on, a, on violence, and the myth of American individualism, and a moving record of Jens' brave inner journey from violence to hope. I feel like I've heard of this case before, but I really want to read that book. Yeah, it's some Mary Vincent shit. I'm into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we love some lady survivors up in here. And yeah, see what I mean? Who seek justice for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is the true crime documentary, right? No, it's the legend. Just kidding. Um, and this is what I do, trying to go off script. That's what I get. So it's the right. legend is bump. the bandage man. Ooh. Take a wild guess. Just take a he's wild a mummy. guess. Yeah, he's literally an American fucking <gasps> mummy. I love it. Um, so what they think is that or what the Oregonians think is that he is the ghost of a logger who died in a sawmill accident. But um, either way, he basically fucks with any teenagers who hang out at, at a less populated area of a highway near Cannon Beach. They go necking or what have you. Mm-hmm. And they say that he'll knock on your car windows and try to get in. And that he smells terrible. Aww. And I was like, oh, they won't let you in because you're a ghost and because you smell? That's sad. Oh, stinky boy. Oh, poor bandage man. <laughs> really, they can't get more creative, like, honestly. Um, yep. But and then the top true crime documentary is one that we haven't discussed yet. It's the 2016 doc Team Foxcatcher. And yeah. yeah, yeah, it's that one. It's got an, it's a got a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes score on the tomato meter, and it's got an eighty-eight percent audience score. And the synopsis is John Greenhall, I think is how you spell it. Say it, Green H A L G H, 
directed mm-hmm. this documentary chronicling the downfall of wealthy wrestling benefactor John DuPont, who opened a training facility for the U.S. Olympic wrestling team at his estate, Foxcatcher Farm. The film uses previously unreleased home movies in order to create a portrait of a deeply troubled man whose obsessions ended in tragedy. And you can watch it on the Netflix. And then they made a movie, like a movie they version of did. it with Steve Carell, Steve right? Steve Carell is John DuPont. And um, what's his name? Channing Tatum is like, I think the guy that he ultimately kills. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I keep meaning to watch it because it looks fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because Steve Carell has a fake nose. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. We'll have to talk more about that case because it looks really We will be talking more about that case. Perfect. Okay. All right. All right. And then... We should see a real killer. It is Dayton Leroy Rogers, a.k.a. the Molala Forest Killer. Ooh. And he has been called Oregon's most prolific serial killer. Like, he has actually earned that title. All right. Um, Because, so... Other people may think of other killers when you think of Oregon, like Geary Ridgeway or Ted Bundy. But um, while they have like connections to Oregon, they committed some crimes. Yeah, they did in Oregon. some of their crimes there. Yes, um, but they didn't do like the majority or all of them. Yeah, Rogers did, and so he was convicted of murder in 1989 and sentenced to death. But then all the right. Oregon Supreme Court overturned his death sentence which like we don't know how why well i was gonna say well they didn't overturn his death sentence they overturned the death penalty i guess i should say all right all right but um he killed six women or seven women excuse me but he was he killed seven women but he was charged for only six of the murders um so he really targeted um, sex workers, addicts, runaways. He called them, quote, street women. All right. And I don't have these in order alphabetically for once because probably I didn't take the time to alphabetize them. I'm just only going to assume. Um, and his final victim was Jennifer Lisa Smith. And he, his other, um, whatchamacallem, I can't speak. His other victims were Lisa Marie Mock, Maureen Ann Hodges, Christine Lotus Adams, Cynthia DeVore, Riatha Giles, and Nandes Noni Cervantes. Um, so he was sentenced to death three times, but the Oregon Supreme Court vacated the death sentence and said, like, all right, new trial time. And they kept going back and forth and like, he'd get another one and Mm -hmm. Oregon be like, no, and go back and forth. And so he finally is just like sitting in jail. He's still in jail, still in jail, still in jail. Um, he was as of 2015 sentenced to death for the fourth time. Um, and, According to his defense attorney, Rogers would have waived all future appeals and admitted to his crimes if he was just given a life sentence instead of the death penalty. But no. But no, no, no. Whatever. Yeah. So it was like they didn't like get rid of the death penalty per se, but they were also like, we don't want to do the death penalty. Like, Oregon's weird. I love Oregon. But they're yeah, like, they're weird. back and forth. They're up and down. They're all around. But yeah, he's he's... He's still living. Garbage. He's he is also garbage, but he's also yeah. still alive. 
still on death row, just hanging out, just doing things, just living life. Gross. Yep. Still gross. Always gross. Um, my next state is Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And the most popular true crime book is Busted, A Tale of Corruption and Betrayal in the City of Brotherly Love by Wendy Ruderman, Ruderman and Barbara Laker. In 2003, Benny Martinez became a confidential informant for a member of the Philadelphia Police Department's narcotics squad, helping him arrest nearly 200 drug and gun dealers over seven years. Wow. That's success. Yeah. He did his job. Yes, he did. Um, he did it well. But that success masked a dark and dangerous reality. The cops were as corrupt as the criminals they targeted. In addition to fabricating busts, the squad systematically looted mom-and-pop stores, terrorizing hardworking immigrant owners. One squad member also sexually assaulted three women during raids. Oh, wow. Frightened for his life, Martinez turned to Philadelphia Daily News reporters Wendy Ruderman and Barbara Laker, the authors of the book, mm-hmm. and busted chronicles how these two journalists, both middle-class working uh, mothers formed an unlikely bond with a convicted street dealer to uncover the secrets of ruthless kingpins and dirty cops. Nice. And it has a 3.73 out of 5 on Goodreads. That's like this episode has been just a list of books that I need to put on yep. my list to read because yep. this one sounds so fucking cool too. Yep. I'm about it. Um uh-huh. So again, I have two uh Urban Legends. The first okay. one the, t- the name of the first one makes me laugh, but the story is not funny. Okay. So, the name is Charlie No-Face. Oh, no. I know where this is going. Yeah. So, according to the legend, after a tragic childhood accident, Charlie No-Face, also known as the Glowing Green Man, lost his face and turned radioactive, literally glowing as, green, as a toxic green color as he stalks western Pennsylvania highways at night. His main haunt is Piney Fork Tunnel, which is an abandoned freight tunnel in Hillsville. But if you seek him out and he manages to touch your car, it might stall out. So this legend is actually based on a lot of truth. Ray Robinson was a real man. And as a child in 1919, he was severely electrocuted by a trolley wire, which practically melted and disfigured his whole face. Oh, Um, yeah. Well, as an adult, Robinson walked Western Pennsylvania highways, Route 351 to be exact, but only at night because his shocking injuries got him a lot of unwanted attention. And his quote unquote glowing appearance was likely due to uh, petroleum jelly that he needed to coat his damaged skin in. That would Um, make sense. Yep. Those who know him claim that he was incredibly sweet, although profoundly isolated. Mm. so that's very sad yeah (laughs) that's so mean when i first read the title charlie no face i was like oh god what is this shit um the second one is the bus to nowhere and i've been on a bus to pennsylvania before and i can tell you it's the bus to nowhere okay in philadelphia there's rumored to be a bus that doesn't have an end destination the story says that the bus picks up passengers that are at their lowest moments who need to get away from their problems once the passenger is ready to face the world they can get off the bus but the passenger has no idea how long they've been on the bus for it could be hours days or even years 
Okay. Spooky. Well, that's um, yikes. One urban legend that I didn't see on any of the lists was that of the town of Centralia, which I went to, and there is like a very famous movie based on it, and uh, I will be doing an episode very soon on uh, that one. So that's just now I'm trying. To, alert. Um, now I'm trying to think. Oh, you won't be able to guess it. No, but I want to guess it, it. You're going to be like, oh, shit. No, I want to guess it. I don't want to have an oh, shit moment. I want to have a oh, <laughs> I know it moment. Oh, come on. You have time to think about it. But I know. The favorite true crime documentary of the state is There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. Yes. Yes. It's really, really tragic. Um, it's a 2011 documentary about the 2009 Taconic State Parkway crash, and it premiered on HBO. And... It, this is a very famous accident, I guess you could say. Um, but if you don't know, uh, this woman drove the wrong way on the highway for four miles. Eight people died. Um, she had a blood alcohol content of 0.19%, which is high. And there was a significant amount of THC in her system. But the documentary tries to show an alternate reason for the crash. Not just saying, oh, she was drunk and high, whatever. Um... You can still watch it on HBO Now, HBO Go, whatever HBO service you have. It has um, no Rotten Tomatoes score, but it has an, an audience score of 62% and a 91% Google score. Oh, that's so and pretty has good, a, That's Yeah, that's yeah, really good. that's good. It has a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, and there's actually also a 2009 Law & Order episode that's loosely based on the case. Ooh! That I think in their episode, someone drives the wrong way down, uh, like, the West Side Highway in New York City. Mm. Yeah. That's a real anti-oop. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> the scariest serial killer is Harvey Miguel Robinson. And I don't think he was on the list that I found, but uh, I didn't agree with the person that they put on the list. So I said, fuck it. <laughs> So this guy is the scariest serial killer of the state, and it's because he was one of the youngest serial killers in American history, Okay, and he was apprehended at only 18 years old. Mm. Yeah. And he raped and murdered three women in Allentown, Pennsylvania, between 1992 and 1993. Okay. And the story of his crime spree was depicted in the 1996 film No One Could Protect Her, as well as a couple of shows on... Uh, in investigation discovery is that the channel uh, i just wrote id yeah i think, I think it's, it's investigation, investigation discovery. discovery yeah so they have a couple series that like talk about his story including um your worst nightmare most evil and dead of night and he's also featured on a and e's killer kids oh yeah well that's that that's that's a thing that happened that's Pennsylvania. Oh boy. Well, next up we got Rhode Island. The tiniest state. Is it? Or is Delaware? No, Rhode it's Island's them. Yes, it's them. No, it's them. Never yeah. mind. Small but mighty. Um, And their top true crime book is Down City, A Daughter's Story of Love, Memory, and Murder by Leah Carroll. Has a 4.03 out of 5 on Goodreads. And the synopsis is... 
Leah Carroll's mother, a gifted amateur photographer, was murdered by two drug dealers with mafia connections when Leah was four years old. Her father, a charming alcoholic who hurtled between depression and mania, was dead by the time she was 18. Why did her mother have to die? Why did the man who killed her receive such a light sentence? What darkness did Leah inherit from her parents? Leah was left to put together her own future, and, now in her memoir, she explores the mystery of her parents' lives through interviews, photos, and police records. Down City is a raw, wrenching memoir of a broken family and an indelible portrait of Rhode Island, a tiny state where the ghosts of mafia kingpins live alongside the feisty, stubborn people working hard just to get by. Heartbreaking in memory, and men, blah, God, mother. Ugh. Heartbreaking and mesmerizing. It's the story of a resilient young woman's determination to discover the truth about a mother she never knew and the deeply troubled father who raised her. A man who was, Leah writes, both my greatest obstacle and biggest champion. And big, I did it. I did the thing. <laughs> I did the thing. Both my greatest champion and biggest obstacle. Good night. Good night. All right. We're done here. I, I quit. You're going to have to take this over on your own. I'll send you okay. my notes. Continue. Okay. So next up is the urban legend. And so it's a rock. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> um, But not just any rock. It's apparently got a human footprint and a cloven hoof. Like... In Devil it? footprint on it? No, like there's a human foot and a hoof foot. Okay. Um, and it's located on Devil's Foot Road, surprisingly. Of course. Um, and basically, what they think is, or not what they think, but what the the legend is, um, a Native American woman murdered a white man and then, like, fled, as you do. Mm-hmm. And while she was running, another guy stopped her and she asked for Satan to save her. And then the man was like, yo, I'm Satan. Stomped okay. his foot on the ground. And then it was like, this is the proof. My my feet are actually hooves and they are in fact cloven. And so that's like one is her foot and one is his foot. Okay. And so the rock just has always shown like a cloven foot and a human foot. Wow. And we don't, yeah, we don't know why, (laughs) but apparently it was Satan and a Native American woman, because we've got to just blame all the people of color we can. Um, Sure. But anyway, moving on, moving on, moving on. The top true crime documentary in the state is the 2017 Confession Tapes, which is another Netflix series. People don't Uh seem to know. Like, I would love to understand, like, how these people were polled if we keep getting series when it says documentary. But anyway. It's fine. I'll get over it. I'll, I'll learn to live with it. Um, so it's got a 100 on the, uh, on the Rotten Tomatoes tomatoes meter. I can't speak. And a 74 on the Rotten Tomatoes audience score. And it is the... Um, Synopsis is this docuseries highlights cases where murder convict. Oh my god! I need a moment. You got this. I got this. I need a moment. I'm so tired and so hungry, and we can do this. This docuseries highlights cases where murder convicts claim they were coerced into confessions and are in fact not guilty. 
Good. In the criminal justice system, sexually based offenders are. Con- <laughs> <laughs> um, can't even say that right. I said offendants. Um, so next is the top serial killer, and that would be Craig Price. Um, and you, I know you were saying that you had the youngest serial killer, and I'm sure you do. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But. Lil Craigie committed his crimes between the ages of 13 and 15. Ooh. Mmm. That's very wee. Yes, that is quite wee. That is a little too wee for me, if you ask. Um, so he was arrested in 1989 for the murders of four women in his neighborhood. Um, first was Joan Heaton and her two daughters, Melissa and Jennifer. And that was in 1989. And then also a woman named Rebecca Spencer, who he murdered two years earlier at the age of 13. Um, He also had a prior record when he was arrested for petty theft. But um, he just he was convicted and sentenced to prison and just has lived like a really hardcore life, man. Like he's gotten in a lot of prison fights. He's stabbed a lot of people. On April 4th, 2017, he was accused of stabbing fellow inmate Joshua Davis at the Suwannee Correctional Institution in Live Oak, Florida, with a five-inch homemade knife. And for that alone, he was sentenced to 25 years on January 18th this year. Damn. Yeah. Sounds like the place for him. Yep. Sounds like it. Sounds like, you know how they say, like, oh... California suits you, or oh, this thing suits you. Yep, prison suits him. Prison's perfect. Prison suits yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, my last state for this episode is South Carolina. Okay. And the true crime event book of the state is Sins of the Mother by, I think you pronounce her name, Maria F. Eftimades. Okay. And the synopsis says... On October 25th, 1994, a hysterical Susan Smith told the police a tale that would strike terror in the hearts of mothers everywhere. An unidentified gunman had sped off with her two little boys, leaving her screaming on the side of the road. For more than a week, the people of the tiny town of Union, South Carolina, rallied around the young mother. They combed the woods and neighborhood parks for the missing children and prayed for their safe return while FBI teams launched a massive manhunt. No one ever suspected that the pretty 23-year-old who tearfully pleaded for her children in front of millions of TV viewers could be capable of such a heartless act until she led the police to the watery graves of her young sons. Now, as a shaken community confronts an outrage and sorrow, a stunned nation asks how this could have happened. It has a 3.69 out of 5 on Goodreads. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, some of the other, like killer mother stories we've heard of um like we covered um what's her name what was her name again the woman that shot her kids um which one diane downs <laughs> yes okay, diane downs i was going to say which I which one because there have been many women who have shot their kids yeah unfortunately this, like reading the synopsis of this reminded me a lot of like a diane down story that she like uh okay she was like crying on tv and like eventually it led back to her um the top urban legend for the state of course i get all the funny named ones um 
it's the Boo Hags. And although the name is funny. Can we change our name? Can we change our name? Wait, can we okay. change it now? All right, wait, do you from know, here on out. Do you want to know what the Boo Hags are? Something tells me I don't, if you're asking. They're horrible. They're skinless so beings that creep into people's homes in the low country, climb on their chests, and suck out their breath in their sleep. Sounds like us. And they will also tear off a victim's skin and wear it to keep themselves warm. Sounds like the average Saturday night for us. It sounds like your cats. It does sound like my cats. <laughs> I wake up almost every night to them either, depending on my sleeping position, on my chest, looking at my face, or on my back. Just sitting there. Just, just staring at me to big the big owl eyes. I don't know. They're, they're either sucking my soul out of my mouth or out of my butt. We'll see. Yep. Yep. Mo would never do such a thing. Um, Mo would never do such a thing and get caught. That's true. <laughs> He's very sneaky. Yes. Um, the favorite true crime documentary of the state is Cocaine Cowboys, and I think it's the same as Florida, but that was in our first episode when you Florida. weren't talking about the true crime docs. So, um, this is about, um, a brutal Colombian cocaine lords move into Miami in the early 80s, and they brought with them a form of decadence, drugs, and debauchery that they hadn't seen since the Prohibition days. This stylized, high-energy film reveals how Miami went from a sleepy southern city to a drug and murder capital, as told by the people who put the vice in Miami Vice. Okay. It has a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, with a 79% audience score, 86% on Google, and a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. That's not bad. I think you can watch it on Netflix. I'm almost positive. Okay. In the U.S. Yes, in the U.S. Whatever we're talking about this, it's in the U.S. Please don't get mad. Exactly. <laughs> Please don't uh, get mad. I can't handle more of that. The scariest serial killer of the state is Larry Jean Bell, and he killed two people and is suspected of killing two more in the 80s. Uh, before murdering one of his victims, he forced her to write a last will and testament on a notepad and then called her family to taunt them. Oh. The notepad. Yeah, that's a little. Up. That's a little fucked up. Like that's a lot of fucked up. But he Dennis raided himself, and the notepad had part of a phone number written on the corner, which led police to uh, a family Bell uh, Bell had house sat for, and which then led them to Bell himself. Okay. And he was executed in 1996, two years after I was born. Yep. I gotta stop using that as a qualifier <laughs> it's okay i think that when i see like 1992 i was like oh well i was just here yep <laughs> anyway that is all 10 states for this episode and next episode is our final part of the series boo, boo hags <laughs> i hate you um you can go to our website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com, and there you will find all of the links to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also our Patreon. You can support our Patreon. It would be fantastic and our favorite Christmas present because this episode is coming out on Christmas Eve. Ooh, a gift that keeps on giving. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Chrysler. And if you... 
uh, are very astute and listen to the beginning of the episode, you will have heard our new sponsor. Yay! Woo! Um, I was playing Best Fiends right before we started recording. Of course you were. And it's a good um, game. It is a very good game. Yeah, we don't lie. And I played it until my phone was dead. Been there. So done that. Yeah. So that's I do everything until the, my phone uh, is dead. <laughs> yeah. That's all the uh, support you need. Go download Best Fiends and play it, and uh, your phone will die while you're playing it because you will die of fun. Yeah. Just. I was on a roll too, and I was like just about to win another level, and then my phone died, and I was upset. So <sighs> that's that. That's a weird way to end this podcast. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Chrysler. Merry Christmas. Happy Happy Holidays. As happy the holidays. As the Insync says, Happy Holidays. <laughs> Oh, okay, so we're not doing that? Okay. Oh, no. All right. No, no, that's fine.